The Watch is brought to you by the hit Showtime original series Billions, starring Emmy winners Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti. Billions returns Sunday, February 19th at 10, 9 central. Download the Showtime app now to start your free trial. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mac Weldon with smart design premium fabrics and simple shopping experience. Mac Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing. But guess what? I'm currently wearing Mac Weldon. So checkmate. Oh. Um, Mac Weldon makes underwear, t-shirts, socks. Uh, it's just incredibly comfortable, incredibly stylish. It's such an easy experience to get them. You know, in this day and age, of all the things you can get on demand, one of the things that's easiest to have just delivered to your house is underwear. Whoever wants to like take time out of their schedule to go get underwear. I'm what are you doing? I'm going to get some underwear. That's even if you said that, that would be a tough look. Yeah, it'd be a weird thing to There's say. There's nothing wrong with buying underwear, but it's just like, why would you make that your errand? No, you have other things to do. You're a busy guy. Yeah. With, uh, in addition to looking great and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with uh, natural fibers, and they have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard, too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which eliminates odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. And if you don't like the first pair, you can keep it. They'll still refund you. No questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your purchase using promo code WATCH. So what are you waiting for? I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, knock, knock. It's Andy Greenwald! Whoa, it's good to be back. The Coca Popa! Good to be back in the same room. I appreciate you not making fun of my red velvet slippers from my <laughs> giant oversized ruby ring. I'm glad that the tiara fits. Thank it's you. It's weird because it was in Washington, so I'm glad they, they brought it out. We got it back. Yeah, it's in good shape. Andy, this is The Watch. Today we are talking about the SAG Awards. We are going to talk a little bit about Split, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie. Uh, and then we're going to talk Young Pope for a bit and Neil Brennan's new uh, stand-up show, uh, stand-up special on Netflix called Three Mics. Um, so that's the table of contents. I'm looking forward to it. How was your weekend? Uh, <laughs> Fine. Chill, right? Yeah, chill. Chill Super. weekend. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say I had a, I had a really good experience yesterday because mm-hmm. it was a weekend of uh, deep sorrow and terror in yeah. general. Um did some uh, did some college interviewing for my for my uh, alma Texas mater. Texas A&M. Yeah, yeah. Go uh, Aggies. Aggies. Yeah. Are you as impressed as I am? But I got that right. I'm very impressed. Do you, did you watch my mouth start to say sooner? <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> I'm thrilled with myself for that. Um, and I got to meet wonderful, inspiring young people. Ninety uh, percent of them were first generation uh, to this country, children of immigrants. A lot of them were going to be the first kids hopefully to go to college yeah um they were so much smarter than us i'll use i statements than me they were so smart they were so were they just like mimicking stuff they read on wikipedia or did they actually have deep i interviewed a kid who was just like when i read about the nobel prize winner's paper that proved that, that like established the moment where ice cubes become vapor before becoming liquid that made my day and all i want to do is teach math to other people because it excites me i was like oh my god was he able to America is already great. All the songs on Green Day's Lookout Records albums. <laughs> this is the thing. So maybe it's a different kind of smart. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he's not CD smart yeah. in the same way we were. But um, no, and like, the, and they were they were calm and they were focused and they were so impressive. And I hope they all go to great colleges. And uh, and so I was talking to this one woman who was just like, 
young woman, she, you know, she's from East LA and she like lives in a two bedroom apartment with like three siblings and has to take care of her kids half the time. And she wants to be a lawyer and she wants to like give back to her community. And she's a, like a, a distance runner and she was so inspiring. And she was like, so I, one of the questions I like to ask these kids is like, so what else, what do you, what do you do for me time? Like what else do you do? Like yeah, not, not just in the classroom. They're, them yeah. <laughs> what do you do with me? What can I do? Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's like, I think it's important to take time for yourself at the end of the day. Like, I like to do some reading. I was like, what, what do you <laughs> did like? She, did what she do you... run goop? <laughs> no, seriously. I was like, yeah. you are wiser and more yeah. mature than I am. And yeah. she was like, I like to I like to read. I was like, well, what do you like to read, you know, outside of school? And she was like, well, currently I'm reading Love in the Time of Cholera. I'm nice. like, I'm like, relaxing. Yeah. Super impressive. Super chill book. She's like, or I'll watch my favorite TV show. And I was like, what's, what's your favorite TV show? And I, I assumed she was going to be like, oh, the BBC had a ripping adaptation of Nicholas Nickleby, <laughs> you know, or on the alternative. I thought she would be like, you know, um, ABC's The Middle is a is a good hang at the end of the day. Yeah. She was like, well, my favorite show. She's like, I, I really recommend it. You should check it out if you haven't. It's called The Walking Dead. And I was like, <laughs> oh, word? She's like, yeah, like at the end of the day, like it's a really great way to like unwind. And I was like, oh, is that so? But the thing is, is that we, I sometimes think about this when, when I'm like watching even Young Pope, but I, I'm like, I feel like I can't really like leave the room yeah. or read, you know, a magazine have a second screen experience yeah or have like a second life experience yeah. where tv used to be that and it's partially because young pope is half an italian so you have to look up to see what what your man silvio is saying what, what if it wasn't an italian but yeah but I, I think that there's still like a lot to be said for television as a passive experience this is yeah. what I, this is the other thing i want to say about that which is that it's always good to be reminded that the great majority of people who watch television don't do this yeah they don't need to do this. Like, right. for them, like, Walking Dead, pretty crazy, did man. You, did you counter her with, do you think it's going to stick the landing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, do you, do you think all this? That should be the only question you ask college I, applicants. I, I leaned in, making the namaste hands. And I was like, do you think showrunner upheaval has played a role do, in the show's lack of consistency? that they have a... A comprehensive understanding of the world they're building. I was like, "Do you do you, do you realize that the Walking Dead are actually the living? <laughs> like, did 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 that work for you? Anyway, I wrote, "Do not accept on her application." No, right. I'm like, that's what two things. That's what TV still is mostly for. Uh huh. And anytime we go too far in the other direction with, um, you know, expecting everything to be half an Italian, whether <laughs> literally or not. That's not what a lot of people want. For I don't want to go experience. too far down this road because I but, feel like it pulls at the thread of this podcast. Yeah. So basically, this is our last show. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. No, but I also just think that this was another reminder. And I really recommend, by the way, Chris, I really recommend talking to young people. They're dope. Yeah. Um, I really uh, think that people should should also remember that for as much as we try to like surf the tide of changing uh, watching habits and and the way we process and receive all these shows and we we we, we check in you you like to look at the the boards you like the reddits we we watch things that are on streaming services mm-hmm. this next generation that's coming and I, you know this is the story that i told from a few years ago about the kids who are just like who are like the the only shows that they watch it's on friends, right? television were game of thrones and walking dead and then they were like, do you, you say you write about television. Do you also write about Netflix? And I was like, yes, I didn't realize that was a separate category. And they were like, have you heard of a show called Friends and a show called Prison Break? That makes Because me feel, we watch all of those episodes. That makes me feel like the younger generation is in trouble if they're like, have you heard of Friends? Well, this, this, to be fair, she was also like, have you watched Ava DuVernay's The 13th? Right. Because that, you know, that was pretty, pretty lit. But they, they were basically, it's, base, it's, an, it's an important reminder that the consumption model is not based on new content. Hmm. 
it's not based on whatever the hot new thing is. That's the way true. we are still yeah, focused on it. Yeah, that is true. It. Maybe we could stand well, to, to talk a little bit more about season four, Mom. Well, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Or, or, or go back further. Like, maybe it's time to do that Rockford Files episode we've always wanted to do. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, 400... Maybe we, should, we don't have anything for the re-up. Maybe we should just watch the Rockford Files. It, it's just important to say that people have been asking me recently, like, is this a bubble? You know, not just because then I'm like, I'm not John Landgraf, that you've got the wrong number. But 400... oh, I thought you meant a different kind of bubble, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because this is all going to end soon anyway. <laughs> Um, four to five hundred new shows a year is definitely unsustainable, but it's not just unsustainable because they're competing with each other, but because television is competing with the entirety of recorded media on television yeah. at every moment. And that's what people tend to be watching. So, in other words, it's been great doing the show with you. <laughs> Katie Nolan and I are going to start watching the Rockford Files together starting Thursday. And, uh, the Nolan Files. Peace, peace and peace be unto you. It's going to be great. Um, let's talk a little bit about the SAG Awards that were last night. Uh, Interesting I award show. Actually, did not get. I didn't get a chance to see them live. Uh, I know that you, though, have a couple of takes. And I have yeah, one I based on the, the you know, archival footage that has already come out. Sometimes I think that the person who is who should be wealthiest in the world. The old joke was that the person who should be wealthiest in the world is the person who thought to add the word repeat to the back of shampoo bottles because then everyone started repeating, washing their hair and bought twice as much shampoo. <laughs> this, is, that, is that really that's a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Well, someone said that to me once. <laughs> um, and they pulled a quarter out of my ear. Anyway, uh, the, the person who was like, you know, they're doing these award shows anyway. Like, let's put them on TV. Yeah. You know, like SAG Awards wasn't a thing that was televised. Yeah, also like really well targeted to. right between the football weekends. Like, yeah. no, not a, like, half, I don't think, like, 15 people would have watched this if it was AFC, NFC Championship weekend or Super Bowl Sunday, but... So here are, here are my observations, my takeaways. Okay. Um, and you can, you can, you can give me the up or down on them. Uh, number one, the big, the, the, the big headliner was that um, Stranger Things won Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble. And that's noteworthy because this is, that's, that's the award that is most unique to the SAG Awards. It's, yeah. it's kind of an interesting award. Um, and this is the SAG Awards are voted on by the actors. And it made me think that actors, like ordinary humans in America, really love Stranger Things. Since Stranger Things has been on, the narrative about it has really split like high-low. Uh-huh. Even we've been like, well, it's not, you know, the OA was more ambitious or whatever. We really loved watching Stranger Things. Yeah, I thought that really the only thing that happened with Stranger Things was that the memification of Stranger Things yeah. turned people off to it. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I think that's possibly true. But I also think, and I've mentioned this on the show before, that talking to people who work in TV, people are very, very... People salty. who make TV are very salty yeah. about Stranger Things yeah. success. It reminds me a lot of um, like an alt-rock band in 96 who score like a... What was that band, Sammy? Remember them? Oh, that yeah, Luke Wood, who what later became the, an A&R guy. Did they have like a quote-unquote hit? They didn't have a hit, but their their second record, Tales of Great Neck Glory, was like a bidding war and was on Geffen. Well, they were, okay, like just take like Good by Better Than Ezra, which was basically I'll, I'll following like the Pixies yeah. model and anyone could have just gone dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. But they did. And they had a smash. And it was the, a good song. Yeah. And, but everybody was just like, Puh. Just like, all I have to do is write a Kim Deal bass. Like, I could have done that. First of all, <laughs> I love that. I love that character. I want to bring him back. Um, second. That's I, Lou Barlow from Sebado. Oh, I figured. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I think the, uh, the follow-up to that is um, Better Than Ezra's second season was, was really good. Was it? No. Yeah, well, <laughs> so. but I think what you're talking about is basically a lot of people out there share the Duffer Brothers' interest and uh, adoration for Spielberg, Carpenter, yeah. early like, this, 80s this was, sci-fi, this was my VHS core. Yeah, exactly. And so. But they did it. They did it. And it was interesting to see that, like, 
as we got into the award season, you know, we, we both talked ourselves out of Stranger Things' chance of success at the Golden Globes, as it turned out correctly. But people really liked, people really loved that show. I won't just say liked. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, people who generally, in the larger voting pools for Golden Globes or, or Emmys, they might be like, well, it's not intellectual enough. It's not simply technically skilled enough or whatever. Actors are just like, actors are raw emotion balls, man. They were like, we loved it. Do you that, want me to talk a little bit about the acceptance speech here? Well, that was my next point. My, 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 next, my next point was that Winona Ryder's face is our greatest living special effect. It was and, kind of a, a combination of um, Cara Dulea at the end of 2001 <laughs> as he goes through the monolith meets... Chevy Chase in Spies Like Us when him and Dan Aykroyd are doing G-Force testing. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and they're like, this is easy. And then like their whole face starts moving like, they, their in Their faces directions. turn into to Lando's little yeah. buddy from the Millennium Falcon and Return of the Jedi with the uh, But I'm not hating because like, I, I don't know what my face looks like when I would. I, and if I was on stage when David Harbour was shooting a shot like that, yeah. like I'm not sure what my reaction would have been. Yeah. We will shelter freaks and outcasts, those who have no homes. We will get past the lies. We will hunt monsters. And when we are at a loss amidst the hypocrisy and the casual violence of certain individuals and institutions, we will, as per Chief Jim Hopper, punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the um, I, you know, I often wonder, like, I, I imagine, like, if I was going to give a halftime speech, right? Like, Which is something I think you imagine. I definitely am like if I was going to give a halftime speech, Al Pacino or, you know, in, in any given Sunday or Billy Bob Thornton in, in, in Friday Night Lights. And I was like, looking your heart, you know, like I just got into it. Yeah. Right. As soon as I got any con- like affirmation while I was doing it, yeah. I know yeah. that I would take it too far. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you would you would eject the, the fuel cells yeah, like a exactly. rocket. Ship. I would be like, I'm, I'm going <laughs> with like Jim Lovell just being like manual reentry. Yeah. You got <laughs> like, this. I got it. And I know that as soon as like Taraji P. Hemsworth was like, yeah, good job. I'd be like, and another thing. First of all, I would do that if Taraji P. Henson supported me in any way. Yeah. I would immediately go to 11. Yeah. I would take it way too so, far. So while I know that David Harbour just really like tried to hear Jimmy on that one, like he really yeah. went for it. I kind of respect it because I just know yeah. that as soon as I got some some feedback, some positive feedback, I would be like, <laughs> and we're going to we're going to bring back. Tab you, because that was the best soda. You would be you would do Howard Dean. Yeah. Like all of a sudden that looks less yeah. crazy. In I would be a combination of like Ric Flair yeah. and like Barack Obama. Like not, I would just say whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying not everyone is fit to be a community organizer. That's what I mean. We all want to be. We all want to grab the mic and stand on the soapbox yeah. and be like, okay, but there's a reason Coach Taylor never raised his voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a he was a very effective communicator. Yes. And he kept it kept it kept it on a simmer. So shout out to Harbor though. Yeah. I mean the, the shoot or shoot. The other thing is I'm not mad at it, man. Like I, I really think it was it was an interesting thing to to, to listen to that speech. And I, people should check out the speech that David Harbour gave for three reasons. One, to fact check fact check what Chris just said and find politifact rated true, accurate. Two, for Winona Ryder's face. Three, for Taraji. Actually, and Courtney Vance, too. Courtney Vance is like, okay, yeah. okay, this is happening now. <laughs> Courtney Vance is like, you looked at, he's scrolling through his Google phone. To be like, he's got Bleacher Report tr- team stream yeah, but He opens up a new tab and he's like, actor going crazy from Stranger Things, question mark. He's like, oh, okay, not bad. Um, but look, you know, it's it's you have to find your way into the art that you make. Yeah. And the thing is, 
Stranger Things is an interesting test case because what David Harbour was saying about it in a political speech is all accurate. It is a show about fighting monsters. It is a show about resisting bullies. It mm -hmm. is a show about banding together as freaks and outcasts. And you can say those words in the current context and it feels quite empowering. It's also that that show is a nostalgia um, escape, escape route, you know. It's kind of interesting to see people reframe art as um, overtly political and as, you know, as bomb throwing or as... Uh, a bomb, B-A-L-M. Yeah. Like you can just watch Stranger Things and, and I think zone we'll out. see a lot of stuff in the next couple of months, both being celebrated at the Oscars and just stuff that's being released and yes. people coming out and being like, you know, this is sort of not cynically, but trying to recast it a little bit as like a as, as a, an overtly or, well, or young. We're going to talk about Young Pope, which is even though yes. it's filmed before. And yes. so so three other uh, or two other. Well, three other points before we get to bring it back to that to what you're just alluding mm -hmm. to, which was my final point about it. Um, one is the crown is real and it's not going anywhere, baby. The cr people really like the crown. People, <laughs> the crown is the new Downton Abbey in terms of like that's going to get nominated. Yeah, that's going to win stuff. We might have to look at it. I'm just warning you now. I'm I'm, I'm happy to watch the crown. Are, are you happy to watch the crown? Or you're down. Yeah, to I'll watch anything. Really? I'm like, <laughs> such an easy date. Um, so that that is a thing, I think. That was interesting to know because Claire Foy won. Um, your man Lithgow won. Um, so that that is going to be a serious contender at the Emmys, especially this year because remember, we're months away from it, but remember this year, uh, no Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because it's premiering the summer away from the... Uh, so the crown is real. The crown is real. I think Denzel has a real shot to win Best Actor. I, I, I'm i going to say this right now. Denzel Washington is winning the Best Actor I, Award. I think the thing you have to think about is this. Now, obviously, Den, so Denzel won last night. I I went I, I stuck my neck way out there thinking he was going to win the Globe. Casey Affleck won. When Casey Affleck won the Globe, people were like, it's a wrap. Uh, Casey <laughs> you know disagrees with you? <laughs> Brie Larson. <laughs> Brie Larson not to – and she'll be giving that award away yes. too, right? Yes. It's kind of interesting. Um I think the thing you could say, and this is purely, this is us, we're putting on our, our visors. We're, we are we are Kevin Dunn in luck right now. Oh, this I thought is, you were like, we're John Gruden. We are, no, no, <laughs> walk it back. We are purely prognosticators in this moment. I'm not even talking about the politics of it in this case. I'm just talking about like the gamesmanship mm -hmm. of Oscar jockeying. I think that you could make the case that Casey Affleck is going to win um, uh, extracurricular brouhaha aside because he won the Golden Globe and because the performance is outstanding. But remember who he's up against. This is not him versus, like, uh, Eddie Redmayne. This is Denzel fucking Washington, yeah. okay? Denzel Washington, one of the greatest screen actors of our time. Denzel Washington, beloved. This is his passion project. You saw what he said in the trailer. He really he puts it all on the line in this movie. Yeah. He definitely, definitely, definitely could win. I, I just think he will. I'm, I'm taking the blade of grass, throw it up in the air. Yeah. The wind blows it. I'm, I'm saying... It's going that way. Did Kevin Dunn do that in luck? I stopped watching after the horses died. <laughs> yes, but with a horse hair. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that Hidden Figures won outstanding performance by a cast in mm -hmm. a motion picture. And I do think La La Land is a La La Lock to win. I'm going to take the visor off now because I don't deserve it. But Hidden Figures, I, I feel like if we if it could ever see the vote totals, you know, I feel like Hidden Figures is just, just coming in strong. Yeah. Hidden Figures definitely could win Best Picture, but not this year. Not against La La Land. Not, not because it, maybe if it had been released earlier. I think if everything, if it, there's, it's a very interesting conversation to be had about like how these campaigns are built. Mm -hmm. And we've seen over the last couple of months, a couple of movies for a variety of reasons really, uh, 
miss the like basically the award buzz windows yeah. silence is a really good example um possibly because it's a three-hour movie <laughs> uh, priest torture yeah. yes but um you know i saw a movie this weekend that was supposed to be it had been talked about in in oscar yeah. co- conversation in the summer which is gold starring matthew mcconaughey yes and they had talked about mcconaughey maybe getting a best actor yeah, nod and, he, and gagan he, he, is gagan back Stephen yeah. gagan who did syriana and uh it's Basically, like if somebody was like, you know what I really liked was the last half of Goodfellas. <laughs> I'm gonna make a two hour plus version of that, yeah. but like worse. Cool. And with none of the music really making sense. So it'll be huh. like it's set in 1989 and Matthew McConaughey is in Reno, Nevada, but Joy Division is playing. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, but that was a movie that a lot of people were like, Yeah, like the McConaughey and like prestige, like like searching for gold. It's like multi, it's like a Treasure Sierra Madre, but yeah. like new and and also about like our crazed stock market and it just misses the mark, you know, like enough so that it doesn't work. And there's been a bunch of movies like that. Live by Night was supposed to be yes, like a prestigious movie, and that I saw like a report this week that weekend that it lost Warner Brothers seventy five million dollars. So enjoy yeah, the Cape. I feel like you could <laughs> seriously the Cape fits. Um, I feel like you could have stopped what you were saying when you said that was a movie. Yeah, because there is no silence greater. Than when a movie just doesn't work because it's just it's just the one thing. Right. There's not the second episode still coming. You know, if you miss your window and you miss your audience or you miss your mark, you're done. Yeah. And despite all the money, all the time put into it, it's just it's it's a deafening silence. So all that is connect. to say that La La Land has had the exact opposite of silence or live by night or gold. They, it has had just such a blessed yes. kind of like. It, it's it's sort of survived its backlash. It is it has just sort of gr- gracefully walked along this path, and it's going to win best p- it, picture at least. And it's a remarkable run because it didn't it it debuted at the festivals yeah. know, at the beginning of, yeah. of 2016, and they they paced it correctly, they they platformed it correctly, and you're right. It, it's I mean, we talk about right pilot time. season and sort of the anachronistic ways mm-hmm. that television will work out how they're doing these shows. I mean, in some ways, I'm kind of skeptical about this idea of releasing something in New York and Los Angeles on mm-hmm. Christmas Day and then releasing it three weeks later everywhere else and hoping that the media will somehow because I know personally from like our coverage of things and it's not just because we're in LA it's just because you kind of can't be last to release your pieces about mm-hmm. a movie so you, you kind of have to put out all your your coverage of a of a movie or a television show when it when it re- yes. gets first released right. whether that's in yeah. Chicago or not and I think that that does hurt movies like Silence, where you have like Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield interviews out six weeks before it's, anyone can see the movie. It's a really good point because there. And this is let's put aside for a moment the question of what what press actually does sure. for something in this yeah. day and age. Although I do think it matters for movies. It's not a net negative. I mean, I mean, like it may not be but, as important as the press thinks it is, but I don't think it's yes unimportant. But it's very bizarre this idea of doing a regional release when you have such a national press. Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. People do want things immediately. They talk about things immediately. They they watch, as you said, they watch the stars on TV. They read the interviews in, in whatever they read interviews in these days. They listen to people talk about it on podcasts. And then they wait. There's already something there to fill that void. Plus, The Crown is on. They just stay home and watch The I Crown. Know. Um, it's an interesting point. Um, one other thing about La La Land. You know, th- th- again, this is not an argument I want to make because art for art's sake does really matter. But the other thing I, in another conversation with one of these um, college applicants was, when I asked like a movie or a TV show or anything that like had inspired them recently, they said uh, this, this one young woman said uh, that she was her whole magnet science magnet school was taken to a screening at UCLA of Hidden Figures, and it was like incredibly powerful. That's for awesome. Her. Um, and I you know I, I I wonder if like 
the theater students from the theater magnet school were taking a la la land and be like, everything can work out if you just do a one woman show. <laughs> right. I don't know if it's quite the same power. Not that that always matters. Uh, last point, and I think you alluded to it already. I just want, I just hope America is ready and buckled up for the most woke Oscar ceremony of all time. Are you ready for this? Sure. Is Jimmy Kimmel ready for this? I, I don't know. <laughs> Yo, I'm just saying, this is going to be real, real woke. And I think I'm all for it. I support it. I'm very curious what people are going to say. Do you think Mel Gibson shows up just in full Braveheart regalia? I, first of all, the fact that Mel Gibson is showing up is a whole other conversation. This is fascinating to me. It is the most inside job rehabilitation I've ever seen. Not that I'm weighing in on it either way as an individual in the world. But Hacksaw Ridge, that couldn't you put that in the same category with Live by Night and Gold? Like, that that's a thing that sort of happened that people didn't yeah, see. Yeah, that is and sort yet, of the action movie or the sort of genre movie version of the uh, Weinstein um, company movie about old Europeans that somehow gets nominated every, for Best Picture right. like that every two years. You it, know? It's just weird to see the beneficiary of what is clearly, like, not I, I don't even mean this in a negative way, but, like, old boy network cronyism. Like they can, you can move levers if you try hard enough on behalf of certain things. Getting in the conversation on behalf of someone who was cast out, <laughs> literally, who was completely cast out of the party yeah. of yeah, the yeah. club uh, years ago. It's very bizarre. No um, back. Yeah. But you know, he he does have a good beard. These okay, days. so before we talk about Young Pope, I just wanted to tell you like a funny uh, story here. This is, and we were talking a little bit about the influence of. Like pop culture, media, and press around movies, and I, I, I went and saw Split on Friday night. It's a new movie from from M Night, uh, starring J- James McAvoy, uh, Anya Taylor Johnson. I think her name is from The Witch. Um, Don't know it. Yeah, unfamiliar. Basically, uh, three girls are at a uh, like a Bennigan's type spot for a birthday party. So far, I'm in. With their, and like, there's a dad there, and they leave, and uh, next thing they know, they're kidnapped mm. by James McAvoy cool. who takes them to uh, an underground bunker somewhere and uh, <clears throat> it turns out is this 10 Cloverfield Lane? Uh, no it turns out that James McAvoy has um, wait for it multiple personalities oh, it's almost as if they're split yeah and yeah. et cetera et cetera like there's a, there's like a it's basically it's McAvoy Betty Buckley plays his therapist who believes that um, the that the split personality, the people people suffering from split personalities also might possess an almost superhuman quality, mm. a supernatural quality, Ooh. and it goes on and on. And so right now, I, I just want to I'm going to spoil this for Andy because um, should you warn people you're going to spoil? And I'm going to say too? so I would skip ahead. I'm going to try and keep this to a minute. So um, if you don't want to hear the end of Split, skip ahead like a minute. Okay, here's the funny thing, right? So everybody's like this the. You know, I can't believe the end of Split. I can't believe it. It's like so crazy. Is the chatter like, on the board? And I was like, oh, I, I never. But I would see that as a headline or people in yeah, the office there's a, there's would be talking about it. I'd be like, oh, okay, okay. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm looking forward to finding out what the end of Split is. And me and my wife go see it on Friday, and I was like, there's a huge twist in this. You warned. You yeah, warned like, her. There's a huge twist. She's like, I can't wait. Let's she, see this twist. Was she like, I would never have expected that from an M Night Shyamalan. So film. we get to the end of it. Yeah. And I'm like is this the twist where it's like, it's, it's sort of the end. It's like, yeah. and I was like, Oh, is the twist that like he, he is superhuman. That's interesting. And then, um, it gets to the, the credits tag, you know, like after the, the, the beat after the, the director. Wait, so, the, so the movie ends. Yeah. And, and then the it's like, run. then there, and there was like one last Did bit. you know there was going to be something? I else? didn't. Cause I, I really did a good job not reading about but it. So, but you sat through it cause you were just like, just I was case. like, hold on a second. Like as that we were getting up yeah. and she's just like, I got to go to the bathroom. You right. let me know what happens. Yeah. Let me know who the gaffer was. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out 
that uh, this movie is uh, a sequel to Unbreakable. No. And it turns out that I never saw Unbreakable. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like standing there and the entire theater's like, oh! And I'm like, huh. (laughs) That's amazing. So he stealth built an, a, a, an expanded universe of his own and superhero nonsense. And I am stealth from Philadelphia and did not see the follow-up no. to Sixth Sense. Oh, by the way, neither did your, neither did your boy here. You're, this is the non-unbreakable <laughs> podcast. But it was like definitely like, like fantasy was like, I'm really looking forward to what you think about Split. The end is pretty intense. And I was just like, okay, man, I will. So, so it's just Sam Jackson in a wheelchair at the end being like, no, it's gotcha. Bruce, Bruce Willis at Silk City Diner drinking a coffee and being like, he yes, there was one, Mr. Glass. Wait, really? Yeah. That must have gotten people pretty psyched. I mean, I was psyched for Silk City Diner. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah, but... We used to go there and, like, get grilled cheeses and hope Questlove would be there. Yeah. Just maybe he'd be there. Yeah, just spinning. He wasn't. At <laughs> 4 o'clock on a Saturday. <laughs> he, he wasn't, ever. Um, okay, so... Wow, gosh. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the belt holder, Young Pope. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Movement Watches. You know, I recently got a Movement Watch for my mother-in-law. Oh, that's nice. I got one for my wife. Yeah, I mean, Movement Watches just makes beautiful, beautiful products. It's really, they make lovely gifts. They make lovely gifts to yourself if you are enjoy, somebody who enjoys keeping time or on their wrist. Or if you deserve it. Yeah, or if you deserve it. Uh, the company started with just two college kids who wanted to wear stylus watches, but they couldn't afford them, so they started their own watch company. Movement Watches start at just $95. At a department store, when you're looking at watches, you're looking at like 400 to 500 bucks to spend on a watch. Movement figured out that selling online, they were able to cut out the middleman and retail markups, so they give you the best possible price. There's classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism. I really love the minimalism part. It's like a very just subtle, beautiful It's classic. Timepiece, yeah. Uh, over 500,000 watches sold in over 160 countries. If you want to get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns, go to mvmtwatches.com slash watch. mvmtwatches dot com slash watch movement watches could also be a perfect gift for your valentine that's coming up pretty fast this watch has a really really beautiful design i know for a fact that my mother-in-law has been getting compliments ever since she put it on now is the time to step up your watch game go to mvmtwatches.com slash watch join the movement the watch is also brought to you by the hit showtime original series billions the epic power struggle between two New York Titans who will stop at nothing to take each other down. It's billions set in the high-powered world of finance. It's a game of big egos, big money, and big stakes. Billions returns Sunday, February 19th at 10, 9 central, only on Showtime. Catch up on that first season now. Download the Showtime app to start your free trial. Billions. Okay, Andy, we are back. Do you know it's kind of hard, though, to, to bag on M. Night Shyamalan because he's he trusts the process? He's really getting in early on being the Jack Nicholson of him and Connor Barwin sitting courtside at Sixers games. And Kevin Hart. Yeah, they're like, but Kevin Hart, yeah, to, to be fair, will show up. Yeah. Like for a, a Hollis Thompson game two years ago. Yeah. But M. Night is like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm reserving this spot. I for when Embiid hoists the Larry O'Brien. I, I am completely fine with that. Um, I, it is, I've done a 180 on him just since we realized that. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Young Pope. The funny, I, I think that 
with other shows that we've been obsessed with or really lauded, we've been able to get really deep into certain plot points or talk about, well, they did this right or they did this wrong or I hope they do more of this. And we haven't really for this show. And we've kind of almost taken this show and we've been like, it's in its own little box and you can like get into the box or kick the box away. But you can't, there's not like, oh, I would just, they've got to give Keaton more screen time or how are you, how right. are you leaving this plot line dangling or, or whatever. I mean, have you noticed that this has like been a kind of unique artifact that we've talked about? And I, I almost feel oh, like I don't even know it, sometimes what to say, although I do have a point about it this week. It is so dazzling and so occasionally bewildering and it is it just and sometimes boring it can it can be a little slow yeah it does not operate under any rules that we recognize as tv shows Mm -hmm. you know i just think about the moments the greatest moments in let's say episode uh i know i'm gonna get the numbers wrong episode four Mm -hmm. to my mind was when uh the prime minister of greenland presents the Pope with a, the largest halibut ever caught off the shores of her nation. And Voyello just starts saying that it's a lovely fish like a sea bass that you can cook in a light broth. Um, how am I surprised that that's your favorite moment? It's so funny and weird. But that what does that add up to? What does that what does that? I don't know that it all well, it doesn't need to. I, I just mean that, like, the thing, you know, for we, we love to talk about the auteur era in television and the risk taking and everything. But TV, by its very nature, is essentially always going to be a plot delivery device and everything around it, the flourishes and bells and whistles that we draw that draw our attention um, often remain bells and whistles. You know, I think it's very rare uh, for a show to be. And this is why I think a lot about I've been thinking a lot more about Mad Men recently, because if you think about the way Mad Men constructed the season or even an individual episode, they were these tiny complicated, intricate jewel boxes of human behavior and emotional thinking. Mm-hmm. And what the season was about, well, there was the season where Lane died, I guess. That's a season, yeah. you know. They they didn't follow those rules. And, you know, especially now that I'm, I'm working in that field, you see that. Like, you see that you have to keep moving the ball. Best intentions of what it could be sort of fall away in, in terms of what it probably has to be. Yeah. You know, and here we have, to use a sporting analogy... We have Sorrentino like as the quarterback of his TV show, and they hike in the ball, and he just sort of pulls up a lawn chair and sits, even while everyone's running at him, so and he freestyles. That's what I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, was because um, I've been trying to think of what this reminds me of, this this show reminds me of, or what his filmmaking reminds me of, especially within this show, because I think it's, it varies from, from movie to movie that he does. And we've had a couple of examples over the last few years, whether it's Jill Soloway on Transparent or Carrie Fukunaga on True Detective or Soderbergh on The Nick, where you're just really seeing the uh, footprint of a director who is in charge of almost everything yeah. about their show. You know, and it used to be a writer's medium or producer's medium. Of course, the Stephen J. Cannell produced Unsub back in 1989. That was a, gr- a great producer. Who, other than everyone else on <laughs> earth, could forget? And um, what Young Pope is doing and what Sorrentino is doing in it. When people say something is a lot like Martin Scorsese, they usually mean, oh, it's got, you know, it's using pop music in, in, in a kind of juxtaposing way. And it's the camera moves are like this. And it, it's about mafioso, uh, you know, it's cursing. So, someone and, does cocaine and throws their head yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Or it's got that kind of kinetic energy that mm-hmm. so many of Scorsese's movies have. But one thing that Scorsese does is place primacy on the camera like the camera is the point of view it's not from a particular character's point of view or a sort of flat third person point of view the way the way a lot of Mad Men is where mm-hmm. you go there's a scene with this character mm-hmm. there's a scene with this character 
And you can just see this. There was a little bit of this in the Nick where a conversation would be happening yeah. in a room and then the, camera, the would camera would just go somewhere else while that conversation was happening. And Soderbergh was almost saying, like, I know for the purposes of television that this conversation about this exposition conversation needs to happen. But I'm more interested in the light bulb or the hallway and, or whatever. And it's kind of an interesting undercutting of the script, because remember, the yes. thing about the Nick was Soderbergh was like, give me this raw text that you veteran television writers have written. Right. And your I'm ER an, for the early 20th century. And I'm going to do donuts on the lawn. Yeah. And I will literally point out how basic this exposition is by finding something else more interesting in the room. Well, what you're seeing with Young Pope is a marriage of of, it's all Sorrentino, right? It's not some script that he has taken and tweaked a little bit. I'm sure Silver wouldn't be dismissive of the screenplays, the teleplays for the Nick. But um, there was a couple of shots, yes, uh, in in four and five. Uh, In five, I think when... um, uh, Lenny and uh, Desolier, is that his, the other guy's name, the redhead guy, yeah. are walking around the, the grounds in their tracksuits, and um, it'll cut away from them for a second, or there was a scene where there are children, and they're running away from the convent, and it does this, they're running on one side of the road, and it does like a 360 pan of this countryside, and then the next thing you know, they're like right in front of the camera, and some of that stuff is just style, but some of it is just this assertion of Sorrentino saying like, it's my eye, you know, and in mm-hmm. a show that's about God, it's a show about, it's a show about someone almost assuming the role of God. Mm-hmm. The director is actually God here. I mean, mm-hmm. the director, he's saying the dialogue can be cute, the tone can shift, it can be about power, it can be about fame it can be about whatever it can be at the Italian but what it's league. about is like how i have decided to take these lush already incredibly romantic like uh settings that will evoke so much emotion in people mm-hmm. and even and just ramp it up it's almost like the what michael bay does you know it's it's that it's pushing everything into an almost celestial level mm-hmm. and and i think i over the last couple of episodes even as i like waver back and forth as to whether this is like a shadow Trump show or something like that. I, I continue to be enamored with it because of the camera work. Yeah, let's just think about the the speech of the Cardinals in, in, in episode five. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no knowledge of how they did this, but it strikes me the first thing you think of when you see that is that Sorrentino took some images like Renaissance paintings, um, ecumenical paintings of, you know, of like baby Jesus or like, you know, sort of round babies with little devilish faces mm-hmm. that exist in these old paintings and said to Jude Law, do this. Right. Be this baby, and I will drape you <laughs> in gold and velvet yeah. and silk, and you will look preposterous, and you will rule. And it is one of the most striking shots I can remember seeing in TV or movies in quite some time. He opens essentially with what you think is going to be a knock-knock joke. Right. He And then he devilishly, and I use that word intentionally, spits this, spits bars. He does. About... What does being, what does fondness get you? What does friendship get you? What does public opinion get you? And it gets you nothing. Reaching out. What, what does doing. being open mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's so brilliantly shot, especially as it cuts to these amazing faces of the cardinals and just the the, the, the the masculine energy in the room and the ornateness and the money and everything. And what it does brilliantly is it, it shows you that um, absolutism is a little bit alluring at times, you know, because... To have someone sit on a golden throne draped in finery and be like, you know, nuance is the way to go. It, it's almost it almost doesn't match up. Yeah, it's tricky. 
it's very tricky for someone to get up there and be like, well, I think we're going to open up and we're going to be friendly with this. And that doesn't matter so much. If you have someone, I feel like there's a part of all of our lizard brains that when we hear a strong man, or I would, I would wish I could say a strong anyone, but it's almost always a strong man, say, not take care of it. It's easier this way. It's done. There's part of our lizard brain that's, that's like, phew. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good. That's easier. Even if you're in complete opposition to it, it's easier to have a complete opposition. You know, and that's what is so insidious and terrifying about the young pope and fill in the blank, the comment you want to make here. Sure. Um, and that's why I just I, I am continually struck by the way this show has timed its release in this country. Again, we, we've said before, it is not it was not intentional. It just kind of happened this yeah. way. I mean, it came um, out like last last month, two months ago. On, it on came Sky? out in October. I like think. So maybe so maybe when we, we said maybe maybe the geniuses at Canal Plus Plus were like. <laughs> Just they were they were you know they sucked their finger in the air and they 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 saw the way the winds were blowing, but it can be a crapshoot you know because and we're not talking about Homeland this week we're taking a break but when you see what happened IRL this weekend in terms of um, Muslim American relations and um, immigration and politics and CIA and just people veterans of foreign wars and then you see what Homeland is doing this season because it thought the whole world would be a, they took a bet and it was basically a bad bet yeah. Um, that or, the world, or a good bet. Well, it was it was a more optimistic bet that the world would be in a different. Well, not place. a good bet. Yeah, I mean, either way. But but the the point being, Homeland, you would think of, and I don't. This is not a criticism of them. They had no way to know. No one could predict any of this, really, really. Um, certainly not on a TV production schedule. Um, Homeland is a show that is almost uniquely suited, you would think, to be able to tell these stories, and maybe they will at some point. Paolo Sorrentino coming in from Italy making a 10-hour show about Jude Law dressed as a rich baby. (laughs) Who would have thought that that would become this de facto zeitgeist show to the degree that it has? Its ratings are fine. Is it? They're not good. No, I mean... I I mean, I don't know what good is anymore, but, like, I don't think that it's... I don't think it's tearing up. This isn't a show... For everyone, yeah. I mean, it, 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 if you are not willing to go on the ride that you that you started uh, that you described at the beginning, which is this is a is okay. You can go looking for contemporary relevance, and I certainly am, am. But you have to be willing to go on a purely aesthetic ride here, and just just go with it. You got to go with it. You got to yeah. turn to the camera and wink. Um, okay, let's talk to wrap up a little bit about this Neil Brennan uh, special. It. It's not as much that I wanted to talk about Neil Brennan's comedy or anything, but I think it kind of plays into what we were talking about in the beginning of the episode about passive television watching and sort of, you know, I think that there's a real pressure or real because we're so consumed with the newness of things. And then, you know, even if you don't watch something live, it will get disseminated online where it's like, you got to see John Oliver eviscerate this person or you got to see David Harbour's amazing speech or you got to see this and sketch shows SNL they get like chopped up and sent out in in bits but there's something um, no matter how much formal invention you add to it and Neil Brennan actually does do something quite interesting with this three mic show there's something that like is always going to be the same about stand up and there's something about it being on Netflix and kind of being like you can watch 20 minutes of it and then you can stop or you can watch the whole thing, or you can watch six hours of stand-up yeah. on Netflix. That is actually quite comforting and almost this nice throwback to the way people, I think, used to use television a little bit more as a nightlight. That's an interesting point. I, I was actually going to come at it from a different way, which is to say that I find I find comedians and stand-up comedians more interesting and more relevant um, and more, and more you know, I don't want to say demanding or worthy of time, but 
but I'm I'm more interested in investing time in them now than perhaps any time since I was like watching George Carlin specials when I was allowed to stay up late or whatever in the right. 80s. And I think it's partly because stand-up, basically being a stand-up comedian is, is, is being a open book. That's your job, right? Is to just sort of like... It can be, yeah. Just jump up in front of the microphone and then dig deep and just blah, like everything on everything and hopefully funny things, but sometimes painful things and weird things and taboo things. And that makes them uniquely suited to be like the knights, K-N-I-G-H-T, mm-hmm. of this internet era, right? Like that's why... Um, that's why comedians make the second best podcast other than this one. Um, there's this intense, like, constantly processing the world and oversharing that almost fits the moment. And so I, th- so it makes sense that Netflix is op- backing up the Brink the, the Brink's truck. To- right. So they've made a deal with Chappelle. They've made deals with, with Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld recently. Im- almost impossibly lucrative deals. Yes. Like, outrageously lucrative deals. Um and they've become the place where, you know, Aziz Ansari will do a special for um, Comedy Central once and then it'll go to Netflix. Amy Schumer did HBO and then I think Netflix, right? Like they they are in that business in a big way and they've really opened the checkbook. Yeah, and it's they, when you but, go to the front page of Netflix, like a lot of those sh- – like their shows, they promote those shows. Yeah. They are – I bet for as much as they pay for them, it's pretty low overhead in terms of actually producing them. Yes, they're very low production. It's really and paying for the right to have them. And I think that for the most part uh, – it's a very easy relationship to have. I mean, you can just direct people to go watch your special on Netflix. If people are just searching around for something it's to watch there, for a yeah. while, it's on Netflix. C- granted, like some of the references might be out of date in a couple years or whatever, but for the most part, so what Neil Brennan does in this show, and Neil Brennan's sort of more, most famous for being one of the main he, creative engines behind Chappelle's he, he's, show. Right? He's, a, he's a pretty interesting character yeah. because he's basically, he, he's the guy behind the guy of to so many guys and, and gals. Like, he and Ch- he was Chappelle's co-writer and co-producer, and he directed a ton of Chappelle's show. Um, he's the guy who told Jimmy Fallon that he should hire the Roots as his backup band on Late Night. He's the guy who he was originally he co-wrote with Mike Schur, who went on to create um, Parks and Recreation and The Good Place. He's directed episodes of Inside Amy Schumer. He is a comics whisperer; like he knows people, mm-hmm. he knows everyone. He's incredibly well respected. He 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 co-wrote. Um, he wrote for like Seth Meyers, who he's good friends with, his White House Correspondents Dinner that killed. He's that guy. He's in he's in the room where it's always happening. But the interesting thing about him is that he was never that the guy. Yes. He was always that guy. Right. And so for the last few years, as he jokes about in the special, he's made a concerted effort to build himself up as a stand-up right. and, and test that muscle. Yeah. Resulting in this show that ran, I think it, it like ran off Broadway and then they filmed it. And you were going to talk about the sort of formal innovation. Yeah, so I mean, I don't even know if it's. Innov- I wouldn't want to say that it's innovative if it has been done before. But it in this episode, in this show, what Brendan does is he has three microphones set up on stage, and one microphone he does one liners off of note cards, and one mic he does um, sort of more traditional observational stand up humor, but but like kind of paragraph long jokes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in the center mic, he basically just talks occasionally with jokes about his battles with clinical depression. And his life in a very like stark way, like like, and it's really it's striking because he gets up on stage and says the thing that anyone who knows about him has been thinking, which is, "You're the guy behind the guy," and you know, and so what did that do to you when Chappelle went to Africa and walked away from the fifty million dollar deal? Some of those millions must have been earmarked for for right. Neil Brennan. Um, he talks about his insecurity and his his, his relationship to fame. Uh, it was interesting to watch. I respected the idea of breaking it up like that but it just it didn't land for me because the best stand-up does all of it you know the very best hour-long hour set you'll see 
um, from a Chris Rock or a Louis C.K. or, or any of the other titans, mm-hmm. combine all three of those things into a seamless whole. To separate them like that felt very ungainly to me. Like you'd get into one vibe and then you'd take you out of that vibe. Like the parts that landed hardest for me, he has this whole run about like testosterone operating in men's minds and like, uh, and he likened the voice in your head to like a prisoner doing 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 like side bends. Yeah, um, it's really funny. And I I sort of wanted a I wanted it to be a complete whole. I didn't. I, it didn't work for me, but I sort of appreciated it. And it's sort of interesting that I guess people who are real comedy heads, and I, I, I'm looking at you if you're one of them. I, 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 not, it, yeah. But it's like it, it's it's sort of like respecting the process, like seeing that all work together is what you're supposed to appreciate. Yeah, and I think also the one of the things that's changed since you and I were like watching, you know, uh, guys with like their suit blazer, like with blazers with their sleeves rolled up, with the improv sign behind on them, Comedy Central, and just doing like and the thing about ladies this week, you know, like is that more and more of the process of being a comedian has become part of like the mainstream conversation about yeah, being comedian. So this idea that, you know, Chris Rock or Louis C.K. go to the, the the comedy cellar or something and just workshop material but are almost actively bad at what they're doing because they're they're trying to build a set That's part of and it. they're trying to see how certain things sound phonetically or the rhythm of the jokes and everything and it's not necessarily for public, mass public consumption. It's for like this sort of like watching it would yes. be like watching LeBron shoot you know and it's just like he, maybe he's gonna miss but he maybe he's working on a part of his game yeah it's almost the lo-fi aesthetic in music like yeah. it's the, the mistakes are part of it but that has become between that and Split Slider and all these places that kind of give you an inside look at what comedy and, and is and listening to Marin like and Marin yeah of course and there's there's a lot of stuff like that you almost the the life of a comedian is now as big of an industry yes. as the comedian the comedy itself and I think what Brennan did there was with this that's interesting is almost make that into a very like formal exhibit. He was like, this is yeah. what we all do. Uh, and I am rather than putting it all together, like what you were sort of asking for, he's like, I'm going to show you how these things are separate, mm-hmm. and, but they can all exist within the same guy. And on the same stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, all of this conversation sets up very nicely a conversation I think we're going to have in a couple of weeks when Pete Holmes' show Crashing mm-hmm. debuts on HBO because Pete Holmes, uh, comedian, brief, briefly was a late night host after Conan, uh, hosted the You Made It Weird podcast. And this show that Judd Apatow produced for him is loosely based on his real life where he was sort of a relatively sheltered conservative guy, married young, his marriage fell apart, and he just threw himself into comedy. And in the show, he's basically, he's homeless in Manhattan living on, like, a, a crashing, that's where the title comes from, on, like, Artie Lang's couch and uh, um, uh, T.J. Miller's couch and other comedians. It's... I really, really like the show. I really, really enjoy the show. I think people are going to like it. But I I particularly like it because it does the thing almost effortlessly that Judd Apatow's Funny People tries to do and a lot of these podcasts sort of try to do indirectly, which is really makes this work seem artistic and admirable in a way. It's not so inside baseball that it's just, you know, it, it, it's it's not just people just, um, you know, patting each other on the back and laughing. Like, oh, I, I killed last night. It, it's not so much that. It's just like the question of like, he actually does this thing where in the in the episodes when he finally gets on stage at these open mics and he's fine you know he he has some funny jokes and observations but people are like the people around him are like why are you wasting everyone's time like you're living on a couch and your wife left you why are you too scared to talk about that and it and it sort of makes the process that we saw in a polished state with Neil Brennan's show hour long show into the the work of a serialized uh, half hour right so i find that pretty interesting um going forward but just just to sum up what is your you have plenty of content you said earlier chris you said i'll watch anything 
What is your stand-up diet? Like, how often do you sit down, oh, fire up a stand-up special, pretty, and you're like, pretty let's rarely. do this? Pretty rarely, yeah. So, like, are you asking me what my passive TV is? No, which is another question. I just wanted to know, like, if that was part of your regular diet, like, every so often you'll see that new one and you'll and you'll throw it on. Uh, it, like, I'll always, like, I, I feel like there's randomly, like, my wife and I will give a Netflix, like, we watched Michael Che's comedy special yeah. a couple weeks ago. Netflix is especially easy for. It's right there. Oh, I wonder, I've never even heard a Jen Kirkman joke before. And yeah. you hit play, you know, and then you're like, got it. You know, and, and some, it's just not like a huge passion of mine. But I think part of it has become like, you can, I watch baseball and I'm like, eh, it's, there's a lot of games, you know? And, but <laughs> if I cared about advanced statistics or understood right. something about like prospects or like what it takes to put together this kind of like at bat or, or like how a guy's like develop more pitches, I might be a little more into it. If I was into the extra layers of baseball, I think I would be a bigger baseball fan, obviously. If I was into, yeah. I don't really care that much about joke construction in the world of stand-up, and I don't really care about like the trials and tribulations of working material out. It's like never just, it's just of all the things I care about in the world, it's just pretty low. But that's, I, it, I think that's an interesting point of view to have, and I think it's universal, but it depends, but it, it, it shifts from field to field. Like, I don't, like there are, there, are, there are restaurants, like highbrow restaurants that have tasting menus that you can go and you can drop considerable money on it, and it's just like, that's an interesting work in progress yeah. for a young talent. I'm right. like, I want it to be full and I want to have my $300 <laughs> back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like let me yeah. know when you get your third star. Like, then we'll talk. Then I'll spend the money on it. And I actually bring that attitude. It's a pile of sesame seeds in the shape of a bagel. What we're doing <laughs> here is uh, we, we use a little bit of burnt onion, flaxseed, and uh, sea anemone. You have to swallow it whole. Otherwise, you can't escape from your dreamscape. Um, I, I feel that way actually about stand-up, which is, you know, Chris, you know me. I love to laugh. I want to laugh. But I'm dubious of a show that is intentionally saying I will make you laugh. So unless it's someone that has been vetted, like I've like if the new Louis C. Louis C.K. special drops, I'm like grab the wife, fire it up, like let's have a good night. Do you have a favorite? Uh... Like, do you remember, like, when, you know, because, like, in middle school, though, like, it was oh, a yeah. big deal. Like, I remember, used to, like, Robin Harris was really big for us. Oh, like, really? Yeah, I used to listen to Robin Harris a lot. And um, well, these are the George Carlin. Def Comedy Jam. Was, like, Dennis Leary, No Cure for Cancer was a big one. The Carlin one, Carlin had a run where he just just took apart airplane travel where, you know, he, like, did the whole announcement. And they're like, any bags you might have brought with you. And he just does that Carlin face. Yeah. And he's like, I might have brought any bag. <laughs> You know, and they're like, in, in, in issues of extreme I turbulence. I think my favorite comedian is you pretending to be George Carlin. He's like, in, in, you know, in, in, if, if there is further turbulence, and he goes, roof flies off. <laughs> and I think about that every time I get on a plane. <laughs> I really recommend that. Oh, that oh, do you, also, do you remember the, uh, the Robin Williams one where he just like talks about like being on cocaine a lot? And, uh, and, yeah. and this was like, we knew Robin Williams like. <laughs> Cuddly, fuzzy Robin Williams. Yeah. And he's like, or like rainbow suspenders Robin Williams. And he talks about like being so high when a cop pulled him over. He's like, his face is a cheeseburger. You lunge. <laughs> that shit is like formative, yeah. right? So so there's all, yeah, I remember all that at that age, like when you want to know what the limits of funny are. Yeah. So maybe we just become conservative. Bigger and blacker like, was huge. Well, when Chris Rock, yeah. The, the, when Chris Rock basically, we were like, oh, the, the guy who wasn't, didn't get enough shine on Saturday Night Live <laughs> and was surprisingly good in New Jack City is suddenly the greatest stand-up yeah. of all time or of, of the current moment. Um, yeah, it's probably not the best strategy to only look for, like, oh, Aziz has a new hour dropping. Like, you should probably, or Hannibal Burris. like, let's, it's probably valuable to go lower down on the food chain. 
Maybe yeah. we should go back to the half Scouting. Hour. What we about should, that? I'll see you at the... Co- the, 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 the see you at the cellar? Yeah. But, like, but for real, though, maybe that we should bring our TV thinking to it. Like an hour is kind of a commitment. Maybe we should go back to the, the stand-up half hour. Yeah. Don't get ahead of yourselves, comedians. Yeah. Relax, guys. <laughs> Think about our time. Okay. We're going to be back Thursday. We'll update the watch list, let you know. I'm, we have a couple things we're going to be previewing for the weekend and for the weeks to come. I know Big Little Lies is coming. Girls is coming before that 24 Legacy on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. Falcons or Patriots? Um, these are the football teams. Mm. <laughs> Dirty birds. I mean, who do I? Okay, ask me again. Who do I want to win, or who do I think is going to win? Falcons or Patriots? Who do you want to win? Falcons. Okay, but who's going to win? I mean, I, I, I think Evil wins. <laughs> Evil uh, wins until then, uh, nice seeing you. Good job, Bransky.